Our scripture reading for today is from Psalm chapter 27. We will read all 14 verses here. This is found on page 460 of your pew Bible. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I uh, seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon the rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your anger away, or your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. As we prepare to sit beneath God's word, let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, our Lord and King Jesus, we come before you and ask that you would indeed meet with us, that you would speak to us and change us through your word and by the power of your spirit. Father, we all come through these doors facing different things in our lives, some of us burdened, others of us um, despairing, some of us skeptical, and maybe even wondering how we found ourselves to be in a church this morning. Uh, Others of us come excited, anxious to be with your people. Um, Still others come, and we feel the hypocrisy in our lives. We feel the great distance between what we claim to be and what we actually are. Father, our prayer is that you would meet with us all and that you would deal with us all individually, that you would would remind us that despite what's going on in our lives, we're all really the same. Uh, That is, we are all far more broken than we could ever imagine. And so together, we all need the same thing. We need to be reminded this morning that because of the person and work of Jesus, we can be both far more broken than we could ever imagine, but also far more loved, 
far more secure, far more approved of and accepted than we could have ever dared to dream as possible. So, Father, would you please take us to this good news and transform us by it. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And the children ages three to first grade, you're dismissed to your children's church. If you make your way to the back of the sanctuary, someone will take you to your class. All right. Um, This morning, we're looking at Psalm 27 uh, in a brief little summer series on some selected psalms uh, in the first book of Psalms. And I want to begin a little differently this morning, uh, because here's what I want you to do. I I want you to try to tap into and identify with a particular feeling. Um, You might have to reach back, uh, far back in the memory of your childhood to get here to tap into this feeling, or you may have uh, maybe young kids um, that have experienced this recently, and uh, you can use that. But uh, the feeling I want you to try to identify with up front here is, is this. It's homesickness and what that feels like. Um, do you know that feeling? Um, you know what, what that's like and how truly miserable a dose of homesickness can make you. Um, you know, it's summer and a lot of kids are going off to summer camps for a week or two or more. I don't know. Um, maybe some of y'all are getting ready to do that. Um, and this happens a lot at camp. Kids get homesick. Um, you know, they've got tons of activities all around them to be enjoyed. They're surrounded by their friends. Their parents have spent a a small fortune to get them to this camp and in this camp, right? Camp counselors are paid to make sure those kids have fun. It's paradise on earth. Um, But if you're homesick, you can't enjoy any of it, right? Why is that? Um, It's because your mind and your heart, your affections, they are obsessed with one thing and one thing only, and that is home, right? And nothing else can satisfy, right? Every little thing reminds you that this isn't home. And the more you think about it, the more miserable you become. That's homesickness. And if you can identify with that feeling a little bit this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to carry that feeling with you into this psalm, into Psalm 27. One thing, and one thing only, David said in verse 4. You know, it's obscured a little bit in the English, but in the Hebrew, that word one is emphasized. I mean, David is saying one thing and one thing only I am seeking after. One thing and only one thing will ever satisfy my heart, right? And as best as I can this morning, I want us to try to have a discussion about this one thing, and this is why. The one thing that David sought is the one thing you and I are looking for whether we know it or not, in all our lives. And until we get that one thing, we can't 
and we won't be free. Until we get that one thing, everything else in life will come up short of satisfying us. So, I want us to talk through this together, right? I want us to see that you will not be home in this life until you get this one thing. So, here's what we're going to do. First, I want us to talk about this one thing we need. And then second, I want us to talk about why we need this one thing. And then finally, I want us to talk about how we can get it. So first, let's talk about the one thing we need. The one thing we need is to come before the beautiful face of God, to bask in the beams of His glory, to bask in the beams of His goodness, His favor, His love, His beauty. David wrote in verse 4, The one thing he's seeking is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. The house of the Lord, and later on in that same verse, he mentions the temple. It's the same thing, and we'll get to that in a minute. But what is it that he wants from dwelling in the temple? He wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, he says. To gaze, he wants to stare intently upon the beauty of the Lord. He wants to be captivated by the beauty of God. He wants to be mesmerized with a vision of God's ultimate beauty. Right? You know what he's saying? He's saying, I want to see the beauty that is the fountainhead of all other beauty. He's craving the ultimate beatific vision, right? Now, I get it. Having said that, I mean, that sounds a little philosophical, abstract. You know, we're talking about ultimate beauty, things like that. But verse 8, David puts it in a little bit more concrete terms. In verse 8, he says, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Verse 9, hide not your face from me. There's a key word that I was trying to emphasize in those verses. Faces, face, right? He's saying ultimate beauty is found in seeing God's face. Right, here's, and here's why that's more concrete. To be face-to-face with someone, right? That's to be in a real, experienced, intimate relationship. David was saying, I don't just want to know about God, right? Surely that's involved, But what he's saying is so much more. He's saying, I want to know him personally. I want to be in a relationship with him. I want to know him intimately. I want to be known by God. I want to experience his presence. I want a relationship with the one who is ultimate beauty himself. And I want to tell you this morning that to crave that is deeply human, right? To get this, if you could get this and come before that face, that ultimate beauty, for you that would be a homecoming. That would be to come home to the very thing you were made to experience in this life, and nothing else can satisfy like this. A few months ago, I heard a story about a little boy, and he was about six or seven years old, and uh, suddenly his mother passed away, and it left just he and his dad together in the house. And this boy's dad said that for weeks he would put his son down to bed, 
But every night, for weeks without fail, this dad would wake up in the middle of the night when his son had crawled into bed with him. You know why this dad woke up? He woke up because every night, he said, that little boy would climb into his father's bed and he would reach out his little hands and put his hands on his dad's face and he would turn his dad's face to him. And he would say to to his father, he would say, Dad, I need your face. Right? He was saying, I need to see you. I need to be seen by you, right? I need to know you and be known by you. I need your face. I need to know you love me. I need to know that you're not going to leave me. Right? There's nothing abstract about that. It's deeply relational. And that's what this psalmist is talking about, something deeply relational between himself and God. David's saying in this psalm, the one thing I need is God's face. That's what I was built for and nothing else will do. I'm homesick without his face. In about the fourth or fifth grade, my dad took me to get an autograph from my one of my boyhood heroes, a uh, guy named Mickey Mantle. And, uh, you know, one of the greatest baseball players ever, right? And uh, he was actually probably more my dad's hero. He wasn't my era. Uh, I'm getting older, but I'm not quite that old. Um, but that made him even more of a hero to me. <laughs> it made him like a legend to me, right? And um, for some reason, we got to this place that he was signing these autographs, but we got there late. We got there in just enough time to see Mickey Mantle walking away from us and leaving, and he's had a couple of bodyguards around him who were walking him out of this building. And so my dad ran up, and he tapped one of these bodyguards on the shoulder, and he basically said, hey, can, can Mickey give one more autograph for my son? And the answer was pretty firm. No. Uh, you know, uh, Mickey had a plane to catch. He, he, can't, he can't come back and do one more autograph. We're done, right? And so all we saw was Mickey's back, and um, he was walking away from us. And then something happened because I was a very mature 10 or 11-year-old, and um, And I was just utterly heartbroken by this, right? Um, And so, right then and there, I just burst into tears, right? And Mickey heard me crying. (laughs) And so, he turned around, and he told his bodyguards to wait on him. And he came up to me, and he got down on his knees in front of me, he asked me all about my baseball team and what position I played and, and so on. We had this conversation. He came and got right in my face, face-to-face, right? Um, he signed my glove after we were done talking, but honestly, I, I didn't care um, that he signed my glove. And I really don't care now. I, that glove may be in the attic of my parents' house. I don't even know. Um, What I remember is the experience, right? Just for a brief moment, I knew Mickey Mantle, and Mickey Mantle knew me. 
and we were face to face. It's relational, right? And all of that because he came towards me, right? And he got down on my level. And as great as that moment was for me, it is only a a dim shadow, a dim hint of what we were made for. We were made for the ultimate. To come face to face, not with a baseball player or a celebrity, but with God Himself, with ultimate beauty. That is the one thing we need. You have to have it. We need God's face, is what David is saying. Now second, let's talk about why that is. Why God's face is the one thing we need, right? It's what we need, but now why we need it. One of my all-time favorite parts of C.S. Lewis' stories is Chronicles of Narnia stories. Some of you know this. It comes at the very end of his books, and uh, the characters are basically coming into the new heavens, the new earth kind of thing, and the awareness of it all dawns on one of C.S. Lewis' characters. And this is what C.S. Lewis has this character say. He says, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. I'm going to ask you a question. How self-aware are you, right? Are you aware that all the searching and the chasing and the seeking in your life Are you aware what's beneath all of that chasing and searching? That you are, in fact, looking for this land. That you are, in fact, trying to get home in all your seeking and your chasing. I think you'll see this pretty clearly once, because once you realize that God's beautiful face is the one thing that David needed, the rest of the psalm makes sense, right? Just take a glance at what's going on in David's life if you happen to be open to Psalm 27. I'm going to run through it very quickly for you, but people are attacking him, all right? Enemies are threatening him. Armies are encroaching. Wars breaking out, right? That's verses 2 and 3. Trouble is all around him. He's being slandered and attacked, and he's stabbed in the back, verses 5 and 6 and 12. He is being utterly abandoned by those who are meant to be closest to him. Verse 10, my father and mother have forsaken me. Physical danger, emotional trouble, anxiety-producing events, right? Um, Relational trauma. There seems to be a lot of circumstances in David's life that need fixing. But read through the psalm, and you'll realize that David is not asking God to fix any of those circumstances in his life. He wasn't praying, God, get me out of this trouble, fix this, fix that, defeat my enemies, and then I'll be happy. Here's what he was saying. He was saying, God, give me your face. Come near to me and show me your beauty. Let me bask in the sunshine of your face, of your love and your favor. And if I get your face then I can face anything this broken world has to offer me. Verse 6, he says, My head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. 
He's saying, if I can have God's face, I can hold my head high no matter what happens to me. Why do we need God's face? Because until we get it, we cannot be free. If you get the one thing you are made for, life can hurt and life can threaten you, but you can hold your head up and not be crushed by any of it. If you get his face, you become free, like David, free of fear and anxiety and bitterness and resentment and emptiness, those things that are so often driving you in your life. So when my daughter uh, Kennedy was three years old, we were living in Starkville, Mississippi, and I was there doing uh, campus ministry. And we had this friend who had this house on a lake, and, um, and we went there one afternoon, and we were all fishing off of their little pier. And while we were baiting hooks on this pier, um, we took our eyes off of Kennedy, and she took a step backwards off of the pier and fell into the lake, right? Um, and I heard the splash, and I looked as quickly as I could, and I, I could see those terrified little eyes, right? Right as she was going under the water. Um, so what did I do? Um, you know, I didn't think. I just reacted, right? I immediately jumped in after her, right? Jumped in after her, and the whole thing probably took like five seconds, um, I was in better shape at the time and, and, uh, and younger, so I was able to react quickly. But, I, you know, I jumped down, grabbed her up, lifted her up, put her back on the dock safely. Um, it was a traumatic moment for a little three-year-old girl who doesn't know how to swim, right? And so there were a lot of tears, and there were tears for me too because I had my iPhone in my pocket and lost that. Um, but... Uh, one week later, one week later, we were invited back out to this friend's lake house. And as we are buck- in our driveway, buckling her into her seat, we told her where we were going because it only seemed fair to warn her that we were, you know, returning to the scene of the crime, that place where she had fallen into the lake. And uh, in that moment, she looked up at my wife, Jennifer, and this is what she said. She said, Mama, we should bring some clothes in case I fall in the lake again. And let me tell you why that was a beautiful moment. Because there was no fear in her voice. There was no concern in her voice. There was no evidence of post-traumatic stress, right? She wasn't scarred. All she wanted was to bring some dry clothes in case she went in again, (laughs) right? Because she knew that if I was there and she fell in, I would go in right after her, and I would save her, and I would pull her back out. Her daddy would go into that water without giving it a second thought, and so it would just be nice to have some dry clothes, right, is all she was saying. What if you got the one thing you need, God's face? Do you see how that would settle your fearful, anxious heart? 
Verse 3, David says, Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Why do we need God's face? Let, let me ask it like this. Why are you so often anxious and afraid? Why are you so bitter and resentful at life? You know, we're working and we're trying so hard to survive life in a threatening, dangerous, and broken world. And so we get married in the hopes that someone will give us the love and the acceptance we know we need to survive this broken world. Or we diet and we exercise like crazy so that we can get thinner, so that we can get prettier, so we can look in the mirror and be confident in what we see. And we build these beautiful homes, right? Homes that we hope will provide refreshment and replenishment for us and keep us safe. And we strive for success and achievement in our careers and in padding our bank accounts. What are we trying to do? We are trying to create safe places in a hard and broken world. We're trying to build a home. We seek transcendent but momentary beauty and art and music because we feel this need to be lifted up above a life that so often feels empty and meaningless. Why do we need God's face? Because His beautiful face is what we have been looking for all our lives, though we may have never known it until now. In every loving face that you've been chasing, you have been chasing the face of God. In every accepting embrace and approval, you've been looking for the embrace and the approval of God. In every bit of beauty, you've been chasing the beauty of God. In every diet and every achievement and every bit of working so hard, you're trying to get home. We're trying to come face to face with God with ultimate beauty. You know, we confessed it this morning when we read through that confession in the first line, which was from St. Augustine's confession so many centuries ago. Almighty God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Why do we need God's face? Because we'll be restless. We'll be anxious. We'll be bitter. We'll be full of resentment. We'll be afraid until we come before His face. This is the thing that we're chasing beneath all our chasing. Okay, third and finally, let's talk about how to get the face of God. How can we get this one thing we need? Do you know, this is the driving, um, this is the driving question of the Old Testament, really all of the Bible. Um, who can stand before the face of God, right? What did Adam and Eve do when they sinned and heard God walking in the garden? They ran and they hid. God's face was not a source of comfort to them, but of terror because they had broken the relationship. Right in Exodus chapter 33, Moses begged God to see his face, and God said, basically, Moses, I'll let you see my back, because my face would destroy you. Isaiah came before God's face in Isaiah chapter 6, and it terrified him. This is a paraphrase. He basically said, woe is me. I'm as good as dead. Why? He says, because my eyes 
have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. On the best day of fishing Peter had ever experienced in his life, it dawned on him in that moment that the man in the boat with him, Jesus, was not just a man, but God in the flesh. So you know what Peter said to Jesus? (laughs) Um, Get away from me. Depart, for I am a sinful man. What you desperately need is God's face, right? Without His face, you'll spend your life chasing but never finding. Without His face, you'll be crushed by the hardness of life. But to come before God's face, ultimate beauty, His holiness, His purity, as a sinful man or woman, that's not pleasant, is what the Bible is saying. That is terrifying. So how can we get the face of God that we need? David said in verse 4, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. I want to dwell in the temple all the days of my life. You know, David is actually asking for something that is not allowed to him. Right? He's the king in Israel. He's not a priest. And only the priests could go and dwell in the temple, not the king. But you know, even the priests weren't allowed to approach the presence, the face of God regularly, right? In the temple, there were a a couple of courts, and the innermost court was called the Holy of Holies. And that's where the ark was kept, and that's where God's presence was. That's where His face was. And only one priest, the high priest, could enter the Holy of Holies. And he could only go there once a year on the Day of Atonement. And when he went in, he dare not go in empty-handed. He had to bring with him a bowl, a basin full of blood. Why was blood necessary? It was the blood of sacrifice. You know, I I just finished reading through the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. And um, You read through these portions of Old Testament that deal with the sacrificial system, and you think, thank goodness I didn't live there, Um, because to go worship at that temple, I I just can't imagine what it must have smelled like. I mean, there was blood everywhere, sacrifices all the time, right? Everywhere, all the time. Now, listen… What were the people learning? What were these people learning? They were learning a pretty big lesson. The only way, the one and only way you can come before God's face is with blood. A holy, pure God, He has to punish sin. He has to be just. And that's what this priest was doing with this basin of blood. He was saying, the only way I can come before the face of God is because this animal took the death I deserved. Right? You know, the gospel writers tell us that something very significant happened when Jesus died. They tell us that when Jesus breathed his last breath, the curtain of the temple the curtain that was separating the Holy of Holies from all the other courts, that it was torn in two from top to bottom. And you know what that means? It means this. Now anyone 
can come into the Holy of Holies. Now anyone can come before the face of God. We can approach the face, the face that we were made for. We can come all the way in and we can come without fear because we come through blood. We come through the blood of Jesus, the Lamb who was slain for us. As the author of Hebrews puts it for us, Jesus is our great high priest. He is the ultimate priest because of his sacrifice. He can bring us all the way in before the very face of God to feel the beams of the sunshine of his face, his favor, his love, his mercy, his grace. Do you know why all our favorite stories, all your favorite stories and mine, the best stories, they all involve sacrificial love. Um, a couple of my kids are busy right now reading through the Harry Potter books this summer. So hold your judgment if you're not into that thing, but they're catching up on that craze that, you know, they missed by a few years. Um, and there's this great place, because I read all those books too, um, there's this great place in one of the books where <clears throat> Dumbledore is explaining to Harry why he has this lightning bolt scar on his forehead um, and how it was that when this evil wizard Voldemort came to kill Harry and tried to kill Harry, that he couldn't kill Harry but ended up just leaving that scar on his forehead. And here's what he said to Harry. This is Dumbledore speaking. I knew that Voldemort's knowledge of magic is perhaps more extensive than any wizard alive. I knew that even my most complex and powerful protective spells and charms were unlikely to be invincible if he ever returned to full power. Then he says this, But I knew, too, where Voldemort was weak. And so I made my decision. He's speaking to Harry. You would be protected by an ancient magic of which he knows which he despises, and which he always therefore underestimated, and to his cost. I am speaking, of course, of the fact that your mother died to save you. She gave you a lingering protection he never expected, a protection that flows in your veins to this day. Then he says something really interesting. (laughs) I put my trust Therefore, in your mother's blood. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's sacrificial. That's trusting in blood. Rowling, rolling, however you say her name. I mean, these aren't Christian books, right? That sounds awfully gospel-like is what I'm saying. Of course it does. Of course it does. Because every, in every bit of beauty, we are chasing ultimate beauty. That can only be found in God. In every story of real and true love, we are chasing the story of ultimate love. In every story of the transforming power of love, we're chasing the power of God's transforming love. How can we get the face of God? We come to Jesus. Right? We come to God through the blood of Jesus because He's the one who came to us. He's the one who got down on our level. He's the one who came to meet us face to face. He's the one who died the death we should have died. He's the one who lived the life we could not live, and he lived it for us, and all of it to bring us before his Father's face so that we could bask in the sunshine of his face and not just know about his love, but know his love and experience his love 
and feel and sense His favor and His grace and His goodness towards us. Real quick, let me give you four bits of application that need to be worked out. Um, First, you need to learn how to pay attention to your feelings of homelessness in this life. Whenever you feel that feeling creeping in, I've got to make more, I've got to be more, I've got to achieve more, and then I'll get home. You need to pause and realize that in that moment, God Himself is summoning you home and before His face. You will never find home in those things, but only in His face. And He will turn all those things to ash in your hands that you chase in order that you would come to Him and find home in His face. Second, you need to discipline yourself to look upon God's beauty. You need to seek His beauty. That's what David's talking about. I'm seeking your face. It's the one thing I'm seeking. And you need to open your Bible and study it to see God's beauty. You need to discipline yourself there. You need to pray like David. You need to beg for his face. That needs to be for you a regular habit in your life. Okay? So first, pay attention to your feelings of homelessness. Second, discipline yourself to look at God's beauty. Third, put yourself into a community. The temple is the place where God's people gathered. You cannot find God's face by yourself in isolation from others. It doesn't happen like that. God reveals His face to you through His people. You need to be around people who believe this good news of the gospel, that you can have God's face because there will be moments in your life when armies are encroaching and wars are breaking out and you are being abandoned and you will need others in your life who will believe the good news of the gospel for you when you can't even believe it for yourself. You need others. You need a community. Fourth and last, you need to learn how to wait. Last verse of this psalm, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Who in the world is David talking to? He is talking to himself, right? As you pay attention to your feelings of homelessness, as you put yourself in a community, as you take up the disciplines of grace in God's Word and in prayer, you need to learn how to wait in those moments. Wait for God to reveal Himself. Wait for Him to come because He is a God who comes to the broken and the humble and the contrite. He's a God who loves to make Himself known, to turn His face towards the broken and shower His mercy and grace upon them. Do you know what it is to have the face of God? Not just to know about the face of God, but to have the face of God. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for thank you for David and how under the inspiration of your spirit you caused him to take up his pen and write these words, these words for us this very morning. Uh, Father, would you write them upon our hearts? Would you allow us grace in order that we would see that you are the ultimate beauty that we are seeking in everything that we are chasing? Father, would you show us that we need your face? We need your face if we are to be confident in this broken world. 
We need your face if we are going to find true beauty. Father, we pray that you would ultimately draw us to look upon Jesus, to fix our eyes upon him in order that we would see ultimate beauty, in order that we would be transformed by his sacrificial love. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.